A businessman emailed me a few years ago to explain the cost of making money. He told me the story of one of his clients, a man who made over $760 million. He asked his client, what is the personal cost for that kind of income? The man said no one had ever asked him that before. The client shared his story. His first marriage ended in disaster. His wife had become an alcoholic and died from alcoholism. His son became a hardened drug addict and to this day, although sober, still struggles. He said that he focused his time and his energy on the business and totally ignored his home. He said his big mistake was to give his family what they wanted materially and it cost him dearly. He later remarried, and they had two wonderful daughters. He was determined not to repeat his previous mistakes. Looking back, this man said, It was fun getting there, but the personal costs were very high. Now, in his 70s, he has lawyers that watch the lawyers and accountants that watch the accountants. He told my friend, it's not really all that much fun anymore, but I've been blessed a second time with a beautiful family. R.C. Sproul Jr. in his book Biblical Economics writes, Money is not wealth. It cannot feed, shelter, or clothe a man. It cannot offer physical comfort to anyone. Imagine, he says, that you are on a deserted island after your ship sinks. You have a large suitcase full of $100 bills, but you can't eat or drink those $100 bills. You cannot use the money to buy clothes or a ticket to get off the island, and you are all alone. Are you wealthy? A man on another island has no money, but he has food, shelter, and water, along with his family. He is wealthy. You are not. Wealth is not gold stacked up in a vault. The gold is useless until it is exchanged for something of value. Wealth lies in the values we exchange money for, not in the money itself. We invest our money in exchange for something we value, and so we gain wealth. This is basic economics. Paul is talking economics in Galatians chapter 6. God's economy runs on heavenly economics. God owns it all. That's the starting point. God owns it all. He gives us resources to use on this earth, but he does not give everyone the same resources. He divvies them out as he wills. We are free, Paul teaches us in Galatians 6. We are free. We are free to be responsible stewards of the resources that God gives to us. Christian liberty obligates us to use our resources responsibly. We all have four kinds of resources to invest for God. 
we have time, money, talents, and energy. We exchange these resources with one another as we go through life. The exchange rate changes at various stages of our lives. When we are young, we have lots of energy and talent, but little time and money. Later in life, we, have, we may have more time and money, but less energy. The question is simple. Are we using those resources as responsible stewards and investing what we have according to eternal priorities? Paul gives us three principles in Galatians 6 that help us use our resources responsibly. Principle number one, Christian liberty obligates us to use our resources to support our teachers. Galatians 6, 6. Paul writes in verse 6, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. R.C. Sproul points out that money has no value in itself. Money only has trade-in value. We can trade our money for something that we value. Money is a means of exchange. What we value is demonstrated by our exchanges. So, for example, if I have money and you have a car, I exchange my money for your car. That means I value your car. You then take that money and exchange it with a carpenter who is remodeling your kitchen. You value the kitchen. Money is simply a means of exchange. We exchange our money for goods and services. Heaven has an exchange rate also. We can exchange earthly treasures for heavenly treasures. That is what Jesus told us in Matthew six nineteen and 20. Jesus wants us to store up treasure in heaven by exchanging our treasures on earth for the treasures of heaven. It is what Randy Alcorn calls the treasure principle. And he wrote, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. We can exchange our money here on earth for heavenly treasure through how we invest our money here and now. We exchange what we have here for what we will have there. This is what we do when we give our offerings to the Lord. The world considers this crazy, but we value those heavenly things more than we value the earthly things. So we give to missions. We give to the church. We are exchanging money for something we value more than money. In Galatians 6.6, 6, Paul is talking about an exchange rate. The teacher shares time, energy, and knowledge with the people. The people share their material resources with the teacher. There is an exchange based on eternal values. This word for share is the great biblical word for fellowship or partnership. We are partners in ministry. The ministry of the local church is a fellowship, a partnership. It is a sharing ministry. The teacher shares his insights into the scriptures with the people, and they share their resources with the teacher. 
It is a reciprocal relationship. The teacher shares spiritual resources and the people share material resources. It is all based on what we value. It might help to see this verse in the context of the history of the early church. When the early church began, they appointed elders in each local church who were responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church. These elders were all bivocational. They all had other jobs to support themselves financially. It did not take long before certain elders took over the public teaching ministry of the church. We might call these elders teaching elders. Because it took so much time and energy to adequately prepare and handle the teaching ministry, they often gave up their jobs to serve the church. The church, in turn, invested in the teaching ministry by supporting them financially. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, 1 Timothy is one of the last books written by Paul. Galatians was one of his first books. Yet even in Galatians, we can see that already there were people who by vocation were considered teachers and derived their living from teaching spiritual truths. The term that is used here is the term which came to be the word used for professional teachers. The point I'm making here is that the church invests in the ministry of teaching because they value it. They invest in the ministry of teachers by supporting them financially so the teachers can invest their time, energy, gifts in serving the people. Sharing, of course, does not mean that the pastor takes the money and gets rich. In fact, money is only one medium of exchange and most likely not the first means of support in the early church. The early church did not have much money, so they supported with whatever they had, including food and clothes. In Indiana, where my father first pastored and, and I was born, the farmers were money poor and land rich. They had a custom called pounding the preacher, where everyone would bring a pound of food on a designated Sunday to fill up the preacher's car. My parents experienced this delightful sharing in their early ministry. The important point in sharing is the attitude of mutual exchange based on eternal values. The first priority Paul lays out for the stewardship of our resources is the priority of teaching God's word in verse 6. So we share our resources to accomplish the priority of biblical teaching. The second priority is found in verses 7 through 9 of Galatians 6. Christian liberty obligates us to use our resources for spiritual good. Christian liberty obligates us to use our resources for spiritual good. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. There is a general principle of sowing and reaping in verse 7. You reap what you sow. That is a principle of life. People who sow love reap love. People who sow anger reap anger. People who sow kindness reap kindness. People who are friendly make friends. And people who are unfriendly reap loneliness. Wheat does not produce corn. And neither does worldly living produce heavenly results. Someone has said, Many people spend six days of each week sowing wild oats, then go to church on Sunday and pray for crop failure. My friends, it does not work that way. We will reap what we sow in life. We will get the results that we invested our time, money, talents, and energy to get. This is true in general which leads to a spiritual principle of sowing and reaping in verse 8. Invest in the flesh, you reap corruption. Invest in the spirit, you reap eternal life. Paul is building on what he has just taught them in Galatians 5. The fleshly things are identified in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, and the spiritual things are identified in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 24. Fill your life with fleshly pursuits, and you will reap co corruption. You will reap the consequences of sin. But fill your life with the desires of the Spirit of God, and you will reap the rewards of eternal life. Our investments of time, money, talents, and energy pay dividends either on earth or in heaven. When we invest our resources in sinful pleasures, we will reap corruption. The word means ruin, deterioration, or decay. It's like sowing a field full of seeds that only produce rotting fruit. Who would harvest a field of decaying matter? When we fill our lives with sinful pleasures, we will end up with a rotten harvest. If you fill your minds with immoral music and movies, don't be surprised when you find your spiritual life rotting away. Sin has natural consequences. As they say, garbage in, garbage out. You say, but Dave, I thought we were free. When some Christians talk about liberty... They end up saying, I can do whatever I want. God won't zap me because I'm free. True, true, you are free. God probably won't zap you. But never forget that he may give you up to the natural consequences of filling your life with sin. The consequences of filling your life with sin is decay and rot. Is that what you want to harvest from your life? One of the young men that I taught in Bible college was on fire for Christ. 
He had already led many to Christ by his testimony in his community. However, he really struggled in the classroom. He seemed incapable of even basic reading and writing skills. So I sat down with him to talk about it, try to help him. He told me that he had burned his brain on drugs before he became a Christian, and it was impossible for him to perform academically anymore. He had been a bright young man, but now his brain had been damaged by the drugs. He resolved to use what he had left for the Lord, but, barring a miracle, he had to live the rest of his life with the consequences of sin. Invest your life in the flesh, and you reap corruption. But, invest your life in the spirit, and you reap eternal life. The investment principle works both ways. John Wesley once said, I judge all things only by the price they gain in eternity. C.T. Studd came from a wealthy British family, but he chose to serve as a missionary to China. While in China, his father died and left him an inheritance which he chose to give to Moody Bible Institute and George Mueller's orphanage. C.T. Studd went on to found a mission to Africa, which is today WEC International. He wrote a famous poem that has inspired many. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Dr. Bill Bright and his wife Vonette founded Campus Crusade for Christ in 1952. It is now just called Crew, but still doing great work on university campuses. Dr. Bright left his ministry in the business world to follow God's call into campus ministry. He and his wife set up a contract with each other and with God at the very outset. They would live on a modest salary that the ministry would pay them, and the royalties and honorariums from books, speaking, and preaching would be reinvested in the ministry. Over the years, millions of dollars have gone back into the ministry, and their testimony is that God has always met their needs. Bill Bright passed away almost 20 years ago, but his legacy lives on in the ministry. He is enjoying his rich reward in heaven now. Paul drives home the point in verse 9 with an encouraging principle of sowing and reaping. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. The reality for any farmer is that it is a long time between the planting and the harvest. There is much work to be done in between sowing the seed and reaping the harvest. The farmer must weed, water, and protect the seedling as they gr seedlings as they grow. He does it all in the hope of the harvest. But the farmer can become discouraged and tired in the process. And the same is true spiritually. The greatest hindrance to successful and sustainable ministry for the Lord is discouragement. The Christian life is a life of investment. 
We invest our talents, energies, time, and money in the pursuit of spiritual objectives. Yet an investment often takes a long time to pay back a return on that investment, especially when we are investing in human lives. We plant seeds in the lives of people. We cultivate and water the seed, praying that the soil will bring forth an abundant harvest by God's grace. However, the fruit may be a long time coming. The danger in ministry is that we can become discouraged as we wait for the investment to pay its dividends. We give up. Are you a long-term investor or a short-term investor? Are you in ministry for the long haul or the quick fix? You cannot be into instant gratification if you are investing spiritually in the lives of people. It takes perseverance to see results in the Christian life. People fall flat on their faces many times, and you must pick them up and get them going all over again. Sometimes you need that pick-me-up yourself. Failure never stops a Christian from growing or a ministry from succeeding. Despair does. The greatest men and women of God were people who failed big but kept going. We must never become weary in doing good because that is what sowing the seed is all about. God promises that in due time, his time, on God's clock, not our clocks, we will see a return on the investment. That may not be until eternity, but an investment of doing good on earth pays its dividends in heaven. Keep that eternal perspective, my friends. Now let's examine the third principle for using our resources for God, found in verse 10. Christian liberty obligates us to use our resources to help others. So then, Paul writes, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. The Greek word translated opportunity is a time word. It refers to the right or proper time to do something. What is the favorable time to plant the seeds? What is the right time to water the plants? Farmers know that there is a time to plant and a time to harvest. We don't control the harvest. God does. The spiritual harvest comes on God's calendar, not our calendar. But there is a right time to sow the seeds. That time is limited. So we must seize the time when we have it to plant the seeds and water the plants. That is our time, my friends. Grab it and do it. Paul is talking about more than money, of course, when he says that we are to do good to people. He's talking about prioritizing the use of all our resources. We must prioritize how we use our talents, energies, time, and money to do good for people in this world. We ought to focus on doing good for all humanity with the resources that God gives to us. However, we all have limited resources. So the first priority should be to do good to those who are believers. 
In other words, the Church of Christ should rank at the top of our list when it comes to investing our resources for the Lord. Why? Well, because the Church is the means Christ instituted to reach the world. It's like the emergency advice the steward, stewardess gives to you on the airplane. Put the oxygen on yourself first, then put it on your child. So it is with investing our resources. Invest first in the church, so the church will be healthy to minister to the world. That's what Paul tells us here. Now that may sound strange, but is the priority that God gives to us. Our first priority must be to meet the needs of other believers, and then we should meet the needs of non-believers. In other words, we ought to be doing good for all people. But if we have to make a choice, then we must do good to other believers first. If our resources were unlimited, then we wouldn't have to make that kind of choice. But our resources are limited. So we end up making choices about how to use those resources most effectively, most strategically for the Lord. We must choose how to use our time, talents, energy, and money for the kingdom of Christ for eternal priorities. Every Christian should have an investment strategy. Financial planner Alan Gotthardt calls it an eternity portfolio. An eternity portfolio evaluates life by what has eternal value. We only have limited resources to apply to limited opportunities, so have a plan, my friends. Have an investment strategy. Our eternity portfolio is about investing resources in a strategic way to accomplish a specific objective, according to Gotthardt. The formula works like any investment formula. Vision plus strategy equals investment results. Vision plus strategy equals investment results. Let's talk money for a minute. It's one of the easiest ways to understand investment. Most of us don't have all we think we need. None of us have all we think we want. So we have to plan how we invest our money for the kingdom. Haddon Robinson lays out some investment strategies we can use to guide our decisions. He calls it a kingdom portfolio. Here are four strategies we can use to produce kingdom results. First, cover your obligations. Second, give thoughtfully and with preparation. Three, invest in sound ministries that will produce dividends. And fourth, diversify your kingdom portfolio. Cover your obligations, give thoughtfully and with preparation, invest in sound ministries that will produce eternal dividends, and diversify your kingdom portfolio. When we diversify our kingdom portfolio, we're looking at ways to maximize the return on our investment through missions as well as the local church. Have you ever heard of the Big Mac Index? The Big Mac Index? It's an interesting way to evaluate the exchange rates for different countries. 
The Economist publishes the Big Mac Index annually. It simply compares the price of a Big Mac in each country. For 2021, a Big Mac costs $5.65 in the United States, but it costs $7.04 in Switzerland, $6.30 in Norway, but only $1.68 in Lebanon and $2.27 in Russia. So, our money goes farther for missions in Lebanon than in Switzerland. We get more bang for our buck in Russia than in Norway. Now, I'm not suggesting that this should be the only way we diversify our kingdom portfolios, but it is an, an interesting factor in how we choose to invest our money for the kingdom. Many Christians simply don't live strategically with their time, talents, energy, and money. We can fall into the trap of expediency, doing what comes next. Or perhaps the tyranny of the urgent governs our choices. Many Christians fill their lives with obligations and responsibilities and then wonder why they no longer have time to serve the Lord or give to his kingdom work. Since our resources are limited, we must make choices. Don't let someone else dictate your choices. Have an investment strategy that you develop in prayer with the Lord. Ask questions like these as you develop this investment strategy. First, if I commit to this job or take that promotion, how will it affect the time and energy I have to serve in the church? Two, if I buy this house or that car, how will it affect what I can give to my kingdom priorities? Three, if I get involved in this political campaign or that community service, am I investing my time in things that matter eternally? Most of the time, I think we go through life doing what we want, when we want, with no thought for how that impacts our investments in the kingdom. And that, my friends, is not good stewardship of the resources God has given to us. Ron Blue, a Christian financial counselor, once said, If all Christians were reduced to a welfare income, and they gave 10% of that income to the church, the church would double its receipts. Here are a couple of other statistics about Christian giving. About 80% of Christians give just 2% to the church, and only 5% give 10%. I love another quote by Ron Blue. He said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. I like that. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Be strategic with your investments, my friends. There's a proverb in India which says, if you mention money, even the corpse opens its mouth. It seems like everyone wants a piece of you these days. Taxes are squeezing us more and more. The fundraising letter has become an art form. Charities are using telephone solicitation in such a way that you feel guilty even before you have a chance to say anything. 
I do not want to add to your guilt by pressuring you in this message. Instead, I want to release you from such guilt. Uh, That may sound like a strange way to end a sermon on stewardship, but it is true. Practicing biblical stewardship is liberating. It is freeing. There is great joy and freedom in biblical stewardship. If you are functioning according to established biblical principles, then you do not need to feel guilty when you turn down a plea to give money, even from the preacher, including this one. You can turn them down honestly because you know that you are doing what is right before the Lord in the stewardships of the resources that he has given to you. It's freeing to know that you are following biblical principles. Now, we all ought to take a stewardship inventory every year. Our stewardship inventory is not just about money. A proper stewardship inventory evaluates how we are using all of our resources. We must evaluate how we use our time, our talents, our energy, and our money for the Lord. This should be an annual process done in prayer as a family. Every Christian should live each year strategically. Eternal values should guide our strategy for using all of our resources. If we have an eternity portfolio that guides our choices, we will live strategically for the kingdom. Our investments in eternity grow by compound interest, just as they do here on earth. God multiplies our investments in his kingdom, and one day we will see the results of those investments in eternity future. By doing good here, we reap the dividends in heaven. Suppose you are a Sunday school teacher. You invest your life in 10 students per year for 30 years. That would be 300 students that you have directly impacted through your ministry of teaching. Now, if each of those 10 students touch 10 people a year for 30 years, how many people have you invested in directly and indirectly as a result of your ministry? The answer is a staggering 90,000 people. And if that continues for several generations, Think of the investment growth for eternity from your ministry to those 10 students per year in your Sunday school class. Now that, my friends, is God's compound interest on our investment portfolios. 